you would, go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians. And we'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 through 9 this morning as we continue our study walking through this letter we began a few months ago. As you think about Independence Day this week, I'm sure you'll be doing, you know, many things. I know we will, you know, like setting off fireworks. I mean, how many of you like doing that? Yeah? <laughs> yeah. I grew up doing that too. You know, spending time with family and friends, you know, eating good food and probably a lot of food, right? A feasting time. Well, as you do all of that, as you celebrate Independence Day, consider the freedom that we have right now. As you ponder Independence Day, the freedom that we have right now to live out and to share and to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are many believers throughout the world who cannot say that right now. If they go and share the gospel, they must do it very, very carefully and with wisdom. But we have this freedom to live it out, to share it, and to preach the gospel. This is our task and our calling, church. We are a people saved by grace and called to be a holy people in the midst of an unholy world. Let me ask you, what if, what if you poured out your life for the sake of the commission, the mission that God has given us, that you took up the great commission and all God's word calls you to be and to do. What if you did that? There are those who are doing just this right now. Those you'll never know. Those you'll never probably even hear about in this life who are just laying their lives down before the Lord saying, Lord, use me. I don't, whatever my job is, I am saying, Lord, use me. Who are simply his servants, ready to serve and live out their lives for, lives for the sake of the gospel. You know, it makes me think of the missionary, the abolitionist, and the explorer, David, David Livingston. He lived in the 1800s and he spent his life for the gospel in Africa. So after his death, his father in law, Robert Moffat said of him, he sacrificed everything, home, lucrative prospects, and earthly honors for one grand object to carry the gospel of the Son of God to the heart of Africa. Now, how could he do that? David Livingston. Well, he could do that 
because he saw himself for what he was, a saved sinner living in service to his great Savior. And as we come to our passage this morning, may we not just see that of David Livingston, but may we see that of ourselves. As we consider our passage, which calls us to these very things. So I'll read here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. May God bless the reading of his good word. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as a Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Now, as you see these words and as we have read these words with these opening verses of chapter 3, which if you were here a number of weeks ago, I preached on those verses and you can go back and listen to that. But with those opening verses, Paul wrote admonishing the Corinthians, telling them it is not okay for the redeemed to act like the unredeemed, to act like natural, spirit-less people. And he tells them that because that is what the Corinthians were doing. They were living in very fleshly ways. They were to have the mind of Christ. So chapter 2, verse 16 but they weren't living according to the mind of Christ. This cross-centered, self-denying, Christ-exalting life as a believer. That's the kind of mind they were to have, and that's the kind of mind you are to have. And so as signs of fleshly leaving, they had this rivalry going on among them. And this is why we read there in verse 4 when it said, you know, I follow Apollos and I follow Paul. And so Paul's bringing all, all this back up again as he talked about in chapter 1 as well. And so this brings us to Paul's words here where he zeroes in on how they, Apollos and Paul, saw themselves as they came to the Corinthians. And not just that, but here, 
Paul, he's giving leaders, he's giving missionaries, and he's giving all of us a paradigm for how we are to see our own service to God as those who have tasted and have seen that the Lord is good. So they, and you and me, and we, and us, are servants. This is what you are. Servants for the sake of the gospel. Servants for the sake of the gospel. Now, if we're not careful, we can just hear that word, servants, and do what, right? Yuck! <laughs> you know? I mean, it's going to vomit. You know, it's like, blah, I don't want to be that. I don't want that. I'm an American. I don't serve anybody, right? Lone Ranger. And if I serve, I serve on my own terms. I mean, is that something like what we think? Maybe not, maybe you're not thinking that right now, but as you look at your life, I mean, maybe that's the way you're living right now. That word servants is a word that we don't take kindly to. We become servant averse. Yet, as believers, friends, we are being called to have and look at the world, not through the lens of of American or through the lens primarily of our culture, but we are to look out on the world through the lens of God's word. And that word, servant, friends, as believers, it is a beautiful word. When you see it, like when you see this in practice, when you see believers embracing this, is it not beautiful? When the church embraces this heart and this mentality, what happens? The light of the gospel shines out. The light and the love of Christ shines out in a dark world when believers do what? Yes, take up their cross, but as John 13 says, what else do you need to take up? You need to take up your towel and follow Christ, right? And that is beautiful when you see believers saying, that's what I am. I am a servant of the Lord of glory. And this is what we see here. This is what we see of Apollos and Paul here. They were servants living in accord with the assignment of their Lord. And this is what Paul, he says in verse 5 here. And so he says, what they, in verse 5 he says that what they are, that they are servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. And so they're simply servants of the Lord. And it was through their service that the Corinthians put their faith in Christ and believed. And this is why Paul, he wrote what he wrote back in chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, that he just, he just came to the Corinthians just being faithful. He just came preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ by the power of the Spirit of God. Not relying on rhetoric, not relying on oratory or anything special like that. He just came preaching the gospel. And so they... Apollos and Paul, they just took up the assignment God had given them and they did it. 
They said, yes, Lord. Amen. I am your servant. You tell me what to do. I'm going to go do it. How many of you here have that heart right now? Well, it's my prayer and my hope that hearing these words this morning, that your heart would be just that. It would be, yes, Lord, you tell me what to do and I will do it. Apollo and Paul, they were faithful. And each one mattered. Apollos played his part and Paul played his part. Yet, even so, what do we see? Even so, God did it. (laughs) God did it. Even though Paul planted and Apollos watered at the very root, God is the one who gave the growth. They labored, yet behind the growth was God, not them. And so all of this, it comes right in line with Paul's earlier words concerning the Spirit of God in chapter 2, verses 4 through 13. It's not not that we just kind of move right on in a letter and just say, well, I'm going to forget all that stuff. He was preparing the way and saying all these things so he could say this here. And so he's interweaving his point here that the Spirit of God is the one who brings the spiritually dead life, right? He opens blind eyes. He opens closed ears. He causes dead hearts to beat. That's what the Spirit of God does. And that's only what the Spirit of God, like He's only the one who can do that. You cannot do that. You can't cause someone who's dead on the ground to get back up and have life. Well, that's every single person born into this world. They are every single one spiritually dead. And so it must be the Spirit of God who brings them life. And so without contradiction, Paul writes in verse 6, God gave the growth. Yet in all this, as you see all this, see the heartbeat of the Lord's servant. And what is the heartbeat of the Lord's servant? It's simply this. We're nothing and He's everything. We're nothing and He's everything. This is what What's behind Paul's answer to the Corinthians' rivalry? I follow Apollos. I follow Paul. And so he says in verse 4, What then is Apollos? What then is Paul? Come on. Verse 7, So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He's telling them it's not about them. Ministry and mission and preaching and all that was not about them. It was about God and God getting all the glory. And that brings them joy. And truly, friends, may you learn and may we all learn that it brings you joy too. That the way up is the way down. So contrary to everything that the world tells us. The joy is not found in the fleeting pursuits of sin. 
It is found in the God who created joy. And when you follow him and you lay your life down, you will have joy beyond your wildest dreams. Even if you're sorrowful, like Paul says, right? Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. And so you see, they see themselves rightly here. That you and I, you can labor and labor and labor, and unless God gives the grace, nothing will happen. God does it. And he has assigned each their role, their task, and his plans and his purposes for the advancement of his kingdom. And friends, you need to see that you are a vital part of that too. There are people that you alone can reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they're around you right now like every single week. Your primary calling is not an engineer, not an accountant, not whatever it is. Your primary calling is that you are a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if I was not a pastor, I would say the exact same thing to you right now. If I was working wherever the Lord would have me be. I mean, what examples these men are. <laughs> I mean, this is not abstract stuff here, is it? He is talking about your heart and he's talking about my heart. He's asking and we're being called to ask, how do you see yourself? So consider this. Consider your own view of yourself. Consider your readiness for gospel service. This is not a Paul thing or an Apollos thing. This is a Christian thing. You and I are servants and we, you, are agents of the gospel. Do you see yourself that way? Primarily? Your identity is in Jesus Christ. He defines you. Not your job. I'm not primarily a pastor. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. That's what defines me. And what does it define you? Now you might say to all that, well, I'm not sure I've been assigned all that stuff, you know, preaching the gospel and so on. Well, Let me tell you, friend, yes, you have. We all have. Friends, have we become so saturated with rival worldviews that we haven't embraced the ABC parts and pieces of the one true biblical worldview? The true, true story. And there's a simple test for this. Are you taking up your assignment? the assignment that the Lord has given you? Are you taking up the gospel and saying, I might be these other things, but it is this thing that defines me. It is my Lord and my Savior, Jesus Christ, who defines my life. Nothing else is above him. And he's given me a mission. I may suffer 
I may be rejected, but I will preach this message. I will tell the lost the truth. And so are you doing it? Are you following the Lord in this? You know, we hardly go anywhere without our phones today, right? I mean, we always have them with us. I mean, I have, them, I have mine with me right now as I'm up here preaching. So we always are on the ready, right? You have your phone with you. Even as I'm preaching, if something happens, you're going to be like, oh, intense, mess, intense points, uh, pastor. You know, you're going you're gonna to pull it out. You're going to wonder what's going on with your phone, right? You're going to have it on the ready. You have it on the ready right now. And you'll take it out in a moment's notice. Well, how good would it be if we saw the gospel that way? That you are always on the ready for gospel service. You are always on the ready for gospel witness. You're always on the ready for gospel planting and gospel watering. And you're not just praying for opportunities. You go and you make opportunities for the sake of the gospel. You know, and I find all that Paul says here all the more amazing because of all he did, right? I mean, we have his letters here. I mean, we're preaching through it right now, this inspired letter from God. And so he went with the gospel everywhere he could. He made disciples, he suffered, and yet what does he say of himself? What is Paul? <laughs> I mean, is that not incredible? And that's what I mean. Do you see yourself that way? What is Andrew? So consider your readiness for gospel service and also consider your theology of gospel service. Your theology of gospel service. Now by theology, I mean your understanding, your understanding, your doctrinal, biblical understanding of gospel service. So we don't and we aren't putting our hopes in our service. You need to have that as a proposition in your mind. My hope is not in anything I do, and even the sharing of the gospel, but this is it. God must save. Another proposition. So see that here. This is what Paul is saying. God gives the growth, and see how this frees you and me up as well, doesn't it? It frees you to just go and share Christ with others, trusting in God that if anyone gets saved, it's not because of my persuasive ability, not because of the right words I have or anything else. It is simply God who's going to do it. You know, while we were in Peru this past week, we saw this and we basically had to live it out. I mean, we were there laboring among the villages in Yayos sharing the gospel with this person and with that person, and even being invited to share the gospel with 20-plus people and children and adults. And then after that came another opportunity where we basically shared the gospel with 
many of the leaders in the village with little notice or preparation. Like we talked to them, we got four minutes, go, (laughs) you know, all right, here we go. And we just went in and we did it, trusting the Lord. Because why? God must do it. It's not ultimately up to us. And so also for you, as you share the gospel with unbelieving neighbors, unbelieving coworkers, unbelieving family members, you share and you just trust the Lord. You don't go dependent on yourself, but dependent on the Spirit of God, and you faithfully share the gospel with the lost. You're freed up, saints. You just go and do it and see what God will do. And so as Paul says all this, he further explains these things All of this in his discussion next of God's workers and God's building in verses 8 through 9. So Paul and Apollos, they aren't at opposite ends of the spectrum in their ministry efforts. What he's saying is that they're one. They're serving the same purpose. Verse 8, he who plants and he who waters are one. So Paul, he's showing the absurdity of the rivalry among the Corinthians. They're not on different sports teams here. They're on the same team, working towards the same end. I mean, what are you doing saying, I follow Paul, I follow Paulos? He's saying, this is absolutely ridiculous. We're all in this together. We're all following the same Savior, Jesus Christ. We're all proclaiming that one message of the Lord and how he came and died and buried and was rose again to save you and me from our sins. We're in this together. And each one is vital. The one planting, or the one watering, yet both work together under the same Lord. And as they labor, as you labor, what do we see here in verse 8? We see God's workers will be rewarded. God's workers will be rewarded. So verse 8, each will receive his wages according to his labor. You will be rewarded for your gospel labor. Now this is not talking about salvation, but the labor that flows from the heart, from hearts and hands and mouths of those who are already saved, those who are redeemed. I find that verse incredibly encouraging because notice there is no mention here of fruit specifically. So remember what it said. I'll read it again. Each will receive his wages according to his labor. Not fruit. Labor. Not for fruitfulness but for faithfulness. Now, Paul, in just a minute, in verses 10 through 15, he's going to ask and talk about, what have you been building on? Is it Jesus? (laughs) What is your labor building on? So it does matter what your labor is aiming at, but just see this, how freeing for you and me 
to just labor for the sake of the gospel? What is holding you back from faithful gospel labor? The Lord has given you every good thing. He's going he's to give you greater joy as you lay your life down. He's going to reward you in the eternal kingdom to come. So what in the world is keeping you from absolutely giving everything for the sake of this gospel? Now, as we labor, though, we need to be clear on this, too. We labor not as co-workers, but workers empowered by God who are united under one master architect. Now, the issue here isn't with the wording in this verse, verse 9, for we are God's fellow workers. This is where I'm getting this point from. So there's no problem with those words. The problem is with our tendency to think, oh, so this is saying that we're working alongside God. As though there might be some way that God is dependent on us. Well, that's not what this is saying in verse 9. It's saying we labor and we work under God and we work under His power as those assigned a task and are doing it dependent on Him from beginning to end. God's the one who grows it. Otherwise, absolutely nothing will come of it. Hence, Paul says the Corinthians are God's. He did that and is doing that still. He's forming them. He's shaping them. He's growing them. And so the point is that their master is not Paul and it is not Apollos. It's not about you follow Paul, you follow Apollos. Your master is God. And so this whole rivalry that they're having is nonsensical. There and your master is God. And so we come to life and we come to gospel service and we come to ministry in view of what? In view of the infinitely wise, infinitely good, infinitely gracious, infinitely perfect master architect. And as we do that, it's freeing and presses us on to advance the gospel with open hands. So as we read of Paul and Apollos and servants of Christ, be freed to labor with all you are as servants of Christ. Engage, and I mean this, engage in sacrificial You may have to give up a lot, even everything. Engage in sacrificial, humble, spirit-empowered, self-denying labor for the glory of God. You will not come to the end of your life and say, man, I wish I had another house. I wish I had more cars. I wish I had more stuff. May we come to the end of our lives and say, I was faithful. I lost or gave up all those things for the sake of the gospel, and it was worth it. May you come to the end of your life and be able to say that. We're right to remember the words that Francie read a moment ago. 
from Mark chapter 10. What did Jesus say? But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. Do you believe that? Well, if you do, you need to ask them, what do I need to be doing? How do I need to be serving? You are freed to be a servant of all saints. And so see how this frees you up and also see what you are. You are God's building. (laughs) You're God's building. The church, you, all this is about God. It's about his kingdom. It's about the Savior. It's not about its leaders. It's not about its pastors. It's not about celebrity pastors. It's not about the founding pastor of Haven. It's not about the previous pastors of Haven. It's not about me. It's about God. The church belongs to Jesus Christ And you are God's, his field, his building. So in view of all these things, in view of the call to be servants like this, like Paul, like Apollos, mindful of God and his greatness, he's giving the growth. Let's come back to our question we started with. How could David Livingston lay down his life the way he did. This is how. He saw his life in service as nothing and God as everything. This is why he could write, David Livingston could write in his journal on May 22nd, 1853, I will place no value on anything I have or may possess except in relation to the kingdom of Christ. If anything will advance his interest of that kingdom, it shall be given away or shall be kept. Only as by giving or keeping of it, I shall most promote the glory of him to whom I owe all my hopes in time and in eternity. How many of you have a vision like that for your life? Friends, that should be every single one of us. It's also why Livingston said, as he gave an address to some Cambridge University students in 1857, he told them this. For my own part, I have never ceased to rejoice that God has appointed me to such an office People talk of the sacrifice I have made in spending so much of my life in Africa. Can that be called a sacrifice, which is simply paid back as a small part of a great debt owing to our God, which we can never repay? Is that a sacrifice which brings its own blessed reward in healthful activity, the consciousness of doing good, peace of mind, and a bright hope of a glory, glorious destiny hereafter? Away with the word in such a view and with such a thought. It is emphatically no sacrifice. Say, rather, it is a privilege. Anxiety, sickness, suffering, or danger now and then 
with the foregoing of the common conveniences and charities of this life may make us pause and cause the spirit to waver and the soul to sink. But let this only be for a moment. All these are nothing compared with the glory which, we, which shall be revealed in and for us. I never made a sacrifice. David Livingston, embracing what God's word is calling every single one of us to be and to do. Friends, we need to consider ourselves in our day. We are to have the heart of Paul and the heart of Apollos. We are to have the mind of Christ. You are a servant of Christ, saint. We're nothing, and he is everything. So hear the words of God today and live as those who are servants, workers for the sake of the gospel. Arise, serve, share the gospel, preach the gospel, go with the gospel, and live out and live according to the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today and we come praying for this. Lord, help us to take on this heart every single person in this room that we would say I am a servant of Christ I am nothing you are everything and I will make my life about you help us Lord we pray that we will respond to your word this morning and even be able to say with David Livingston at the end of our lives, I never made a sacrifice. And for those here who maybe are here and they don't know Christ this morning, they're hearing all this and they are hearing the gospel preached, that they need Jesus Christ, that everything else in this world is absolutely, it is trash, it is dung compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing surpasses him. So open their hearts, open their minds, open their eyes, open their ears, help them and bring new life to them that they may be yours forever. May they turn from sin and self and turn to Christ as Lord. May you be with us in your church that we would be your servants and we would go out as servants for the sake of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.